0: I'm Anna Webb. Welcome to A Dog's Life. Hey, Mr. Binks, you know there's been a massive surge in dog ownership over the last 18 months. Now, you're lucky because your house is your home, but for many dogs, they're facing eviction or being handed into rescue because landlords are still not dog friendly. That's why we're jumping on zoom to speak to Jennifer Berese, who's devising some insurance programs that will help dogs, landlords and owners live happily ever after. Hi Jen Berese. welcome back to A Dog's Life.
1: Good morning, how are you?
0: I'm really good thank you. We've got a sunny morning here, how about you?
1: Yep, sun's out a little bit here as well. So it's a a nice autumnal day.
0: Really is actually, I love this time of year. It's particularly good because of the work that you're doing in terms of helping people
1: rent with their pets. Yes, that's right. We know that there's a big problem out there for people who have pets to find rental accommodation. And uh, we, we try and actively help out with that. Because we first met, actually, um, when
0: we were doing the second reading, which was all done on Zoom during lockdown, on uh, Jasmine's Law, the proposed new bill by Andrew Rossendale to, you know, make every landlord pet friendly.
1: That's right. That was at the end of February. That webinar took the place of the second reading of the bill, which ultimately fell victim to lockdown and parliamentary procedure and just ran out of time. Yeah, that's a real shame because, you know, it was really in lockdown, wasn't
0: it, that I think pets came to the forefront, even for people who, you know, aren't particularly interested in owning a pet. You know, dogs, dogs and dog theft were splashed over all the headlines. Pets were hitting the 10 o'clock news with dogs being able to sniff out COVID and so much more. But also with Jasmine's Law highlighting the issues that, I think around 55% of the population is currently excluded from the benefits of owning a pet, which we saw during lockdown so helped with loneliness and other mental health issues, that it's all the more pertinent, isn't it, to make
1: lets for pets? During lockdown, um, an awful lot of people who had busy working lives, busy social lives, suddenly discovered loneliness and isolation, probably for the first time. And I think it really hit home and resonated with a lot of people, the, the value and the love and support and companionship it's possible to get from a pet. And when Jasmine's Law came about, it kind of tuned into that animal positivity and, and got the subject being discussed a lot more.
0: Yeah, it really did. And then government brought in um, an amendment, didn't they, to the uh, model tenancy agreement, which is a bit like an AA type guideline. But it did say that landlords mustn't restrict
1: pets. That's right. It, um, It made being able to keep pets the default position. And a landlord could only refuse pets if there were genuine grounds um, for that or an exemption in place. Now, the problem with the new model tenancy agreement is it is just a guideline. It's not, it has no teeth, it's not legally enforceable. And at 50 pages long, it's not too popular with the landlord community.
0: Because This is kind of what's underlying this, isn't it? It's to find a middle ground that helps renters who would like the companionship of a pet and should be entitled to this uh, for loads of reasons. Um, And of course, landlords' preconceptions, perhaps, of
1: pets in their properties. That's right. There's a big disconnect between perception versus reality. Um, Something like two thirds of landlords are convinced they'll get a flea infestation if they allow pets in their property, whereas in real life only 2% have ever experienced any kind of problem along those lines. So you're right, it's, it's walking the, the fine line down the middle about pleasing landlords and pleasing tenants and, and coming up with a mechanism that works for both parties because it's only if it, if it's fair for everybody involved that it's actually going to work this has been going on you know for ages half of me with
0: jasmine's laws thinking this is fantastic but would in reality when you not being discriminatory about landlords here but you know for example I faced eviction in um, 2003 from Uh a leasehold property that I owned um, in Hoxton actually lovely little flat but I moved back in there with Molly my first miniature bull terrier to um, (laughs) to basically end up very quickly in heavy negotiations about remaining to stay in the flat that you know I owned but it was yep. leasehold but I'd put it on the market right but on the basis that I would stay there with Molly there was no way Molly was going anywhere and I had to live in this property for the period of time to sell it and then yep. get another property where I could move with with Molly and that was agreed because I left the flat every day to go to a dog-friendly office which I pointed out to them so I could take her to my workplace no problem and really cool office space just off Hatton Garden as it goes that building sadly no longer exists. It's been turned into uh, luxury flats now. It was this funny. as have
1: so many. <laughs> I
0: know. It was this funny art deco building. Anyway, we digress. So that was a, a massive irony that I could take her to work, which I pointed out to them, but I couldn't actually, you know, live in my own flat with you know my my dog so um but I could have lived in there with a child for example yes yeah yeah yeah. the
1: leasehold thing is 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 kind of a a different argument because you have a landlord could own a flat outright or a, a house property whatever and at the moment it's his choice whether he allows pets or not there's a common perception that if you buy your own property you'll be able to do what you like in it but leasehold properties um, and particularly a lot of um, purpose built or purpose converted apartment blocks do have what's called a head lease prohibiting pets. And if one of those is in place, there really, as things stand at the moment, is not a lot you can do about it. Even though you own it, it's your property. If there's a head lease that says no pets, you can't have pets. Um, that's probably going to be the subject of the next campaign. <laughs> Brilliant, Jen. But what's the subject of this campaign? This campaign is uh, based around the title of the report that we wrote for Andrew Rossendell's office way back in the early days of Jasmine's Law. The report is called Heads for Tails and it's all about using our heads to come up with a good compromise that, as I say, works for both parties that permits the tails to be in the landlord's property now when the tenant fees act came in in 2019 just a a little bit of a preamble here
0: Mm, no go, go
1: ahead it restricted the level of deposit that a landlord was legally able to charge before the tenant fees act there were unscrupulous landlords and lettings agencies charging ever more exorbitant deposits and fees for this and fees for that and it It did need clamping down on, and that was the whole idea of the Tenant Fees Act, that it would restrict what the landlord slash letting agent could charge, uh, and it would protect the, the tenant from being exploited with a whole load of crazy charges. Who's that in the background, Jen? That was Pickle. We've been joined by Pickle. I love it. We've also been joined by Eric, but he's being quiet
0: at the moment. (laughs) Because we should say, you know, you are the first person, I think, on a dog's life that actually (laughs) doesn't have a dog, but has several cats. I have six cats, yes. This is the first Pickle. You're making history yeah it is it is actually because i've got a cat and i adore him as you know he's called gremlin he's quite a character gorgeous yeah but he's he's never been vocal um into the microphone you know and i'm i must try (laughs) i must try and train this actually but um meanwhile though (laughs) my trusty bull terrier prudence is having a good chomp on a stag antler in her bed so (laughs) if you're going to hear this kind of weird chomping sound um, i don't think it was you anna it's okay (laughs) exactly (laughs) so yeah so but it's just to remind everyone, really, that this does affect all pets, what you're working yes. on. They're all tails from, you know, little domesticated rat tails to guinea pig stubby tails to gerbil tails to bunny rabbit
1: tails to them all, right? If it's got fur, if it's got feathers and probably to some degree, if it's got scales. Yes, that's right. Yeah, we love fish.
0: I mean, do you think <laughs> do you think fish fall into this with landlords? Just as an interesting point, they are a pet. They are actually the biggest pet in this country. I read somewhere years ago that there's something ridiculous like 150 million goldfish kept as pets in this country. <laughs> you know, um, so who knew? Who knew? I know I'm probably you know being a bit silly here, but it, it is a goldfish would a landlord you know evict
1: a goldfish? Pretty unlikely. And I think if they tried to evict a tenant on those grounds, they they might get laughed out of court. It's really about the, the type of pet that's that's got the ability to cause damage within a landlord's property.
0: Yeah, so a,
1: yeah. a dog might chew on the, the kitchen cabinets. A cat might rip up the carpet sort of thing.
0: Yes, no, of course. And and you can understand that from a landlord's
1: perspective. Although, totally, totally. But harking back to this tenant fees act, thing, yeah. when that came in and it restricted the deposit a landlord could take to five weeks worth of rent. So that was it. A landlord had always been able to charge a separate pet deposit, couldn't do that anymore. Um, couldn't uh, specify that the tenant had to undertake or pay for a deep clean of the property when they left. When they left, it, it it all came under the the list of permitted payments, and basically the list isn't that long. Pretty much everything is prohibited. So the landlord at that point um, really had very very little fallback to be able to charge anything to retain any of the deposit for pet damage, because if 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 somebody's pet has trashed a flat, they're probably going to scarper. And if they scarper, they're not going to be giving any notice. And there's your five weeks worth of rent while the landlord tries to sort out the void on his property. Right. So we totally get it from the landlord's point of view. Five weeks worth of rent is not enough to cover any potential pet damage. Now, pet damage is not the massive problem that landlords perceive it to be but we do recognise that they need and want some protection for the odd nightmare case that that does arise. And tenants desperately want something that they can negotiate with, with a landlord, to allow them to keep their pets with them. I think you, me, and probably the majority of people listening to this would, would pretty much rather sleep in a car with their pet than give it up. No, but that's the position that some people are forced into. No, it's terrible, and and you know the heartbreak um, of the
0: situation. And I think for many people in lockdown, maybe being a bit unawares of all of this, might yeah. might have taken on a puppy with all the best intentions and commitment and so on, and then basically to have their landlord turn around and say, right, the dog's got to go. You know, yeah, massive, massive trauma. So what what's the
1: answer then, Jen? Well, we're camp- the Heads for Tails campaign is all about making a couple of small amendments to the Tenant Fees Act, to that list of permitted payments. We want to reinstate the right for a landlord to request a separate pet deposit, but that amount would be financially capped, so there was no running away with a, a, a ridiculous amount. Um, but also give them the option to stipulate that pet damage insurance must be held before a tenant can bring a pet into one of their properties. Now, that's that's kind of a, a relative new thing, and there aren't a huge number of policies out there, but there are some, and as the awareness grows, and particularly if, the, if we get this legal change through, I'm sure there will be many, many others that enter the marketplace and, and provide better choice for tenants and landlords but there are policies out there at the moment a tenant could get a policy and say to the landlord hi you know I've, I've got this insurance so if there's a problem we can claim um, but a landlord can't say you must have that type of insurance in order to move in and we want to change that. So this is basically
0: what you're now lobbying government to do to amend the model tenancy agreement to include that is
1: that right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, sorry, not the model tenancy agreement, the, the act to amend the existing legislation in the Tenant Fees Act to just allow those two additional permitted payments.
0: It makes so much sense, to be honest. I mean, would the insurance... Perhaps be worked into existing health insurance, insur- you know, and you also have third party insurance for dogs, something I've always made sure I've got owning a bull terrier, yeah. you know, that might chew someone's handbag or ruin a pair of designer shoes when you go around to some friends, that sort of insurance, as well as obviously the healthcare insurance. I mean, couldn't it be an extra aspect of that?
1: Possibly. I don't know. I'll be perfectly honest with you. As I say, I know there are some um, providers offering products at the moment that are basically tenants contents insurance with part of that being pet damage insurance. Um, But as I said, I'm sure as the marketplace grows and more companies come to market, other types of insurance provider are going to be looking at this closely and seeing if they can get involved. Well, I'm sure. I mean, the thing is,
0: what we've seen through lockdown is the booming economy that remains, you know, as the hound pound. Yeah. So it kind this, for me, is just an extension of that, really, and for canny entrepreneurs, canny insurance firms, to offer,
1: you know, another product. That's it. That's absolutely it. And we know that um, tenants would be willing to pay. We're not talking about exorbitant premiums. We're talking about, say, between 15 and 25 pounds per month for an insurance policy that's not per pet, it's per address. So whereas some landlords at the moment get round the problem by charging an additional pet rent, which on average is about 25 pounds per month per pet, that can get pretty expensive if you've got more than one animal. Yeah. Whereas the pet damage insurance policy covers you per address. And as I say, between about 15 and 25 pounds a month, and you can offer a much higher level of cover back to the landlord. So it's, it's really win, win, win all round. But the stumbling block we have at the moment is the government needs to acknowledge that the new model tenancy agreement isn't solving the problem. You've heard of the property giant right move, they come up with some survey information just recently that the demand for pet friendly rental accommodation has grown 120% since just last summer. Gosh, gosh, really? That's That's a massive amount. But on the other side of the coin, only 7% of properties that are are advertised for rent are advertised as pet friendly. It's a huge, huge imbalance. And if, if we're not careful, it's going to implode and it's going to cause the The whole private rented sector and the animal rescue sector just untold problems, but it could so easily be sorted out.
0: Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because government are are championing animal welfare at the moment with their animal action plan that's made dramatic change just in the last yep. few weeks. You know, with with pet theft, for example, and and taking dogs away from the Theft Act in 1968. Um, where sorry, Prudence is just joining us now on the chair. All <laughs> always causes a bit of a, a rumble. Uh, there we go. And they're also looking at categorising. Dogs as sentient beings, which has really been implied by the new law on dog theft called pet abduction. So you know, Mm -hmm. abduction is the word. You know, more associated perhaps with children. If that's all going on, then what the hesitancy perhaps of the model tenancy agreement to amend it and the and the the tenants fees act is not in line with what they're doing on other aspects. (laughs) So
1: it's not consistent. (laughs) Yes, and there is a lot of pet centred legislation going on at the moment there's also things like compulsory microchipping for cats
0: yeah yeah, um, yeah
1: there was the whole uh increasing the maximum sentence for animal cruelty so that there's a lot of pet orientated legislation either going through or recently gone through parliament and i i think again that's helped us bring this topic of conversation up the agenda. Yeah, I'm not surprised, but also I read somewhere that out of the 3.2
0: million new dogs during the pandemic 35% of those are now owned by the millennial demographic which is kind of a new thing really of the last few years that younger people are actually taking on pets whereas you know back in the day you'd think about getting a dog when you retired but not anymore so it's the big rental demographic isn't it the the millennial sector that is taking on more pets and needs somewhere to live.
1: That's it. That that's absolutely it. Um, more people than ever before are renting because it's so difficult to get on the property ladder, and the economic fallout from the COVID pandemic is also probably going to see more people renting as they they may have to to lose their homes if they've lost their jobs. So mm. you know the the, the rental population is growing and more people want to keep pets so as i say that the whole equation just doesn't work anymore. No, and it's an
0: opportunity. I see this as an opportunity. If I were a landlord, of course, I'd welcome pets. It makes sense. um, If you're canny about it, you know, there's more people wanting pets. So let's, let's champion a new way forwards, really. And there are property developers, aren't there, Jen, that are actually embracing all of this. Yes, the
1: build to rent market is hugely pro-pets. Uh, and that's really exciting and heartening to see, but it, it really needs to filter down through the individual landlord and get them to change their mind. I mean, we're, we're never going to change everybody's minds. That's just pie in the sky. It's never going to happen. There will always be a hardcore of landlords who are like, no pets, no never over my dead body. Mm, mm. And you're also going to have, at the other end of the scale, you're going to have the people that say, well, everybody should be allowed a pet full stop. Now, obviously, I take issue with the the landlords that say no pets, no way, never. But also, and some people find this surprising, I take issue with the lobby that says everybody should be allowed to have a pet because I think that de-sentiences animals in some way. It turns them into more of a possession. It's it's like everybody should have a a television. Mm -hmm. Do you see what I'm oh, saying? I, I
0: actually I totally agree with you. And I actually did chat to Andrew Rossendale on 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 I think the second podcast he did on a dog's life about the, that very thing. Because I'm a great believer it's not a right to own a dog, yes. but it's a privilege. And you know, you do have to change your life completely to bring that commitment in into your world. And exactly.
1: Uh, the way we've always said it is nobody should have the right to a pet but every pet should have the right to a good home. Yes, exactly that,
0: exactly that. And never more pertinent because at the moment we've got people aren't re-homing in, in the old-fashioned way now. What seems to be happening is a lot of these lockdown pups that have hit 11 months are being quite difficult and are yeah. being resold on the internet, you know. Yeah. And I'm sure it's the same with cats, is it, Jen?
1: I know a lot of rescues are being inundated um and have been for for a while now with pets being given up both cats and dogs um because of rental issues Battersea cat and dog's home cite rental issues as being the the second reason that they have animals surrendered to them the second highest reason so it's it's a big problem and it's I, I actually find it quite offensive that rescues are overflowing with animals that had perfectly good, loving, responsible owners and they're finding themselves in rescues just because their owners couldn't afford to get on the property ladder. It's morally wrong. It is morally wrong, and particularly,
0: you know, in this climate where, you know, issues of mental health and, as as we said at the beginning, you know, isolation and loneliness, yeah, is, is, is well documented, and and it's so easy to to fix with the companionship of a furry, four legged human <laughs> um yes. and that then you know keeps the nhs you know less in demand um you know people are healthier dogs for example you know they're the gateway to the outdoors and like cats they're stress busters they're just different yep. i love cats you know but the thing is about dogs you can take them everywhere which is fantastic does mean training though i mean cats in a way are easier to take on i i, I think and sometimes i will recommend people get a cat not a dog because they don't need to be walked every day they are more comfortable on their own than dogs so it's just also recognizing that I think as well
1: yes the pet has to fit the lifestyle and there's no denying that and I know rescue centers in in particular will go through with a family what what they want out of pet ownership and what their sort of daily routine is and and will find the right pet for them be it a cat be it a dog whatever um but the value of pets is, is huge. You mentioned the NHS there. There's um, research which says that pet ownership or increased pet ownership could save the NHS two and a half billion pounds a year. Oh gosh. And that's through less visits to the GP for things like depression and anxiety. That's less um, prescriptions needed for antidepressants and interestingly blood pressure medication all those sort of things add up and two and a half billion quid is a lot of money to save in a year and i'm surprised the government aren't falling on it with open arms well god i know i mean that It
0: doesn't surprise me, though, you see, I mean, there's so much science to prove, you know, just having a dog in the room reduces blood pressure. Um, And again, that kind of segues to being able to take dogs into the workplace, that could you know increase it does increase productivity it's a conversation starter you know a shared experience stroking the dog reduces stress levels and and of course you know animals do make you laugh as well they really make you smile there's some stat that says dog owners smile more than non-dog owners so what I always (laughs) say to that is okay so that's like better than Botox because smiling uses less frowning face muscles yeah than um, being angsty all the time on your face, you know, so bin the Botox. (laughs) (laughs) Take your dog into the office. There's so much evidence that hopefully, Jen, with this kind of strong wind behind us and government's commitment to showing that Pets, dogs and cats are sentient. Um, hopefully, it stretches out to all animals, even you know livestock. Eventually, we'll have to see. But the, again, this is one of the silver linings of Brexit, I suppose. Maybe the only one that we can <laughs> make our own rules now about animal welfare,
1: and and similarly with our housing issues. Yes, and the the level of support that Heads for Tails has achieved is quite frankly, unparalleled, because we, we have 31 organisations from right across the private rental sector, organisations like the National Residential Landlords Association, the Association of Residential Lettings Agents, the Property Redress Scheme, Inventory Base. We have a load of big hitters from the private rented sector, plus a load of important names from the animal welfare world. We have the UK Centre for Animal Law, the Focus on Animal Law Group, the Society for Companion Animal Studies. We've got some big names on the side there, again, from right across the communities that's affected by animals in rented accommodation, have all come together to to back this call for a a middle way, which will cover the, the broad middle spectrum of landlords, that could perhaps be persuaded to allow pets again in their properties provided they have the right protections in place.
0: Yeah and I guess also the right type of accommodation as well. Never recommend for example a Great Dane living on the, the top floor of a 20 story flat block you know. Um, yes yes you know, it blocks...
1: has to be sensible. Yeah there's a it... lot of education to be done though as well there because Um, Again, it's a common misconception that all cats need outdoor space.
0: Yeah, no, they
1: don't. They don't. There's a a group of cats, indoor cats, um, that need to be kept indoors for multiple reasons. It can be based on their, their character, their personality, any health issues they may have, any disabilities they may have. Yet they can still be loving and rewarding companions for someone who is living in a flat that might normally be deemed not suitable.
0: Absolutely. No, of course, I've mean i known loads of indoor cats. Um, A friend of mine had, you know, those Sphinx cats, the bald ones. So obviously they like to be indoors because, you know, it's pretty chilly out there if you're naked. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But um, so, yeah, of course. But, you know, for me, I just think, you know, when you take on a dog, walking a dog is... Part of dog ownership, it just yes. goes hand in hand. Although many people don't realize that, for me, not enough people walk their own dog enough. But that's yeah. another rant for another podcast, which actually <laughs> we've done a couple of times. But you know, proximity to parks and open space in an urban environment, you know, is is of course essential, really, with a dog. You know, a large balcony or a roof terrace, providing it's all secure. You know, yeah. these things do help you live with a dog and, of course, a garden, an old-fashioned garden. You know, some dogs do need gardens, more dogs than than cats, I would say.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. And and more and more people are recognising that. As I say, we've got industry support and we've got cross-party support. This report was sent with an open letter to the then Housing Secretary, Robert Jenrick, um, signed by 37 MPs. And peers from literally right across the political spectrum, we had Conservatives, Labour, Scottish National Party, Lib Dems, and Green Party. We had support from all five parties to to present this report to the Ministry of Housing, Communities and Local Government. And then, of course, we've had the the reshuffle, so it's it's kind of a reset, and we're we're just giving Mr. Gove a couple of days to get his feet under the desk and feel (laughs) comfy. And then we're going to send him the report and the letter again. We just want them to engage. We want to have a proper grown-up discussion and look at why the model tenancy agreement isn't the all singing, all dancing cure to the problem that the department would like us to believe it it is. That there is a problem vis-a-vis the number of people that want pets and the number of properties that allow pets. And finding some middle ground that we know landlords are okay with and tenants are okay with, and then we can start to solve the problem.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So for anyone listening, what would you advise, what would you want our listeners to do to help Chivy Michael Gove along?
1: What they can do is they can um, contact their own MP and ask them to raise the issue with Michael Gove and, and offer support for our report. If anybody wants to download the report, it's available off our website, www.advocatseastmids.org.uk. Okay, okay, fantastic. You can find us on Facebook, you can find us on Twitter. So again, people could retweet one of our posts at their MP and ask for their support. It's all about getting the hashtag Heads for Tails out there and recognisable and people talking about it and asking Mr Gove and his department to to really seriously look at it and talk to us.
0: Gosh well um, I really hope everyone is going to do that who's listening and everything will be in the show notes as well Jen and what I'd love is is if you could come on once Michael Gove has made some changes for a bit of a celebratory
1: episode. I'd absolutely love to. Oh, thank you, Jen. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Anna. Take care. Hey,
0: Mr. Binks, that's our show. What did you think? Yes, it would be good to find a solution for the ever-increasing dog population and their owners. And perhaps it is new property developers that have the solution. What's that? Yes, you're right. It is time for Woof of the Week. (laughs) So it's a no-brainer that landlords should accept dogs but equally dog owners should be responsible in every way (coughs) well i hope you all enjoyed it if you did please rate and review the show wherever you listen to your podcasts thanks again to jennifer Berese for joining us today all the links to the heads for tails campaign is in the show notes thanks to mike Hansen, my producer find out more about him at pod people uk and for me i'm at AnnaWebDogs. dogs what's up, mr binks oh yes you're absolutely right there is still time to vote for us at the tailwise barkmark awards the links are in the show notes yes we will be back in your feed next sunday so why don't you subscribe now then you'll never miss another show bye for now